Welcome to Funding the Dream, the number one podcast for the number one crowdfunding platform, Kickstarter. Now here's your host, Richard Bliss. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Richard Bliss, and you're listening to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter. You know, oftentimes I don't have an opportunity of meeting a lot of people uh, who actually follow the advice that so many of my guests give on the show. And I know that sounds terrible, but it's true because there's such good advice given, but sometimes you have to have the patience and you have to have the, the fortitude to stick with it, to follow so much of the great advice. And I know all of you have heard me say that you don't have a funding problem, you have a crowd problem. And sometimes it's that process of building that crowd. And, and you've heard me say that if you're going to start off in the board game space or the crowdfunding space or Kickstarter, start off small, learn, make mistakes, grow it from there. It's these tiny pieces of advice over the years that have been created by uh, my guests and that you've heard me say that I think are fundamental to success, which is why I'm really excited about the guest that I have on today. Because when he reached out to me, uh, the conversation we had, and you can read that conversation in our Facebook group, Funding the Dream on Kickstarter podcast Facebook group, that he and I discussed because when he first approached me, the question was, hey, I think I should be on your show. And my question was, why? And the answers he gave were compelling that I agreed. And so I'm thrilled to have on my show, Bobby Fiorentino. Bobby, I can't even, now I can't even say it. Bobby, how do you say your last name? Bobby Fiorentino. Bobby Fiorentino. And his rolls project it just rolls right off the tongue. And the project you have is This Game is a Disaster. It's running on Kickstarter Live. It just went live yesterday, today? Today, this morning. Excellent. Nice. And you reached out. And uh, so we're going to talk about the things you have done to get to this point. Because oftentimes they say that Kickstarter is not the beginning of your journey, but sometimes it's the end of your journey. And I'm very fascinated by this journey that you have taken. So, Bobby, thanks for joining me. I'm so excited to be on here. Uh, as we talked about before, I watched you first on lynda.com and uh, listened to a bunch of your podcasts and you're a huge resource that got me to this point. So I can't tell you how much I appreciate being on here. Well, I'm flattered uh, because uh, you also joined, you were one of the very first to join uh, the Facebook group at, when we launched it earlier this year of the Funding the Dream on, on Kickstarter podcast Facebook group. And so I appreciated that and you were contributing there. And so it's been fun to have you on and kind of talk a little bit. And we're going to talk about the steps that you have taken to, to get to this point. But before that, let's just talk about your Kickstarter first, because your Kickstarter went live today. And I have mm -hmm. to admit that when you reached out and I took a look at it, I was not impressed. Okay. That was my oh, first impression. That was my first impression. <laughs> I am not impressed. But as we talked, I realized I was wrong. And it wasn't your first impressions that I was wrong about. It was my preconceived notions about what was going on. And so we're going to talk about uh, that. Okay. Okay. It was me. It was my preconceived notions and not the campaign that you have going. So let's tell the us. The back a little, account. Right. Uh, and right. Cause when you reached out, I looked at your goal, $500. When you reached out, you had just launched, you had 33 backers, you had 29 days to go. I'm like, okay, dude, what is this? I mean, I've had, you know, people on the show who are raising millions of dollars. What, yep, yep. what possibly could you have to, to say? I was so wrong. I was wrong because there are only a few people out there who are raising a million dollars, but there are a whole lot of people out there trying to just take this dream and get it to market and, and get it out there, which is what you've done. So tell us about your Kickstarter campaign. Sure. So it's called, this game is a disaster and uh, it's a card game. 60 cards. Uh, it's a light kind of filler game that you would think of um, maybe like Flux, Exploding uh, exploding Kittens, that sort of thing, maybe Love Letter. And um, 
the goal, the entire goal here, this, this whole game and the whole campaign was just built around not necessarily making the game of our dreams or the best game ever, but uh, to, to just sort of get our feet wet, to go through the process and have fun creating it. And uh, most importantly, I think, getting our community involved, my, uh, my community, which I'm sure we'll talk about, the Board Game Club on Facebook. Uh, all along the way, I had our, my little tribe helping out and pitching in and getting really invested in the whole process. And, uh, and that, that's been huge and that's been a lot of fun. And uh, it, it's paying off now. Uh, people are really excited about it. Uh, me and my two partners were super excited and uh, can't wait to see where it goes. This is why I was so wrong, is that you are epitomizing this idea and this concept of what Kickstarter is really all about. And that is to bring a community together, to build a tribe, to have to bring something out. And it doesn't have to be ultra success, successful with th- tens of thousands of backers and millions of dollars to raise money. Because... As you said, you have this group, you've taken the time to build it up, and now you've delivered this game. And I've gone through the campaign, and we're not going to talk about the details of the campaign, but it, it's very clear what it does. You've got a great playthrough um, video on there. You've kind of got a fun a fun little spoofy opening video, which was kind of fun a to watch. snarky video. Yeah, snarky. Yeah. That's a better way of saying <laughs> it. You've got great reviews that are coming in, and, and, and I get a strong feeling of what this is. But what's more important is that how you've got to this stage, and you mentioned it the board game club, you mentioned uh, my lynda.com uh, video series, which for those who are listening, if you, uh, it's called LinkedIn Learning Now since Microsoft bought them and LinkedIn acquired them, but you can go out and find uh, the um, Kickstarter Essentials course that I developed a couple of years ago to teach these things. But what you've done, uh, Bobby, is you really have set about finding a way to learn through doing. And I've, that's something I've always encouraged, which is why I felt, I have to admit, I felt embarrassed. I felt embarrassed that I dismissed it out of hand so quickly simply because I got caught up in what a good definition of success was, and I was wrong. So let's talk about why you have some of those numbers that threw me in the beginning. You set a goal of $500, and one of the things I said was, how in the world can you do a game for $500? And what was your answer? Uh, so... Pretty much what we're doing is a minimum viable product. And I think a lot of the advice that you see out there is kind of aimed at people who are, have like a real artistic dream. Like a lot of people are, I think, too in love with their concept of their game or their first game. And everything that we're doing is to try to get out, like what we'd say in business, just a minimum viable product, especially in tech. So we use like a lot of um, uh, business, technology, and agile concepts. A lot of this stuff sounds like gibberish, but to my fellow nerds out there, you know what I'm talking about. And um, and so we looked on the Game Crafter and found the components and found uh, what the cheapest way to to get a game out would be. Uh, how many cards should be in the deck? How many? Uh, what, how, what kind of box we can use? That sort of thing. And we just put the numbers together and say, well, what's the minimum we could do that we could have a successful campaign? And it turned out that about 50 units would get us around a $500 goal, maybe a little more. And if we can keep our costs down, then we could kind of just break even, worst case scenario, and you know maybe lose a little bit on what we paid for art. So that was fine for us because we just wanted the experience. So with that approach, when we're just comparing ourselves to more of like a break-even business as opposed to comparing ourselves to you know, Scythe or some monster board game that's going on out there making millions. And right. this is our this is our victory. This is this is our our goal right now. So we're thrilled. 
and that's a great definition of, of redefining what victory was for you. And that was you wanted to be successful at, at doing this. And I have to uh, applaud you for that because that's exactly the steps you need to do to be successful. Because I'm going to assume this isn't your last Kickstarter campaign. Right. Uh, our next game, we hope to do a much bigger goal. And then eventually down the line, maybe we'll get to those million dollar goals and, and funding levels. And uh, I think um, I think this is it's better to do it in this way, like one step at a time, build a base, show that we can deliver a game, show that uh, who we are, what our personality is like and really get that tribe involved. And then uh, the, the good the good, huge things will come later. And that, and that brings up a, val- a very valid point. I, I love the fact that you went with the GameCrafter approach. Uh, J.T. Smith, the founder of GameCrafter, was on the show just recently. It's a great yep. resource for people who want to build a prototype, uh, or in your case, who actually just want that's, – that's the game, right? Well, here's a, here's a great thing about the GameCrafter. And the more I looked into it, the more I thought, wow, this is amazing. Because you have all this conventional wisdom that you have to order from China. You have to get uh, fulfillment services. You have to do import taxes. You need to have pay a broker. But all this stuff. And I think it's a huge hurdle that makes most of your listeners that aren't at that stage just be like, wow, this sounds like a full-time job just to like get a few board games over here. But when you do it, the Game Crafter, I believe it's all made right here in uh, the U.S. If uh, whoever's listening, uh, yes. wherever you are, I'm sure yeah. that they have their own fulfillment services, right? Yep, JT. Uh, uh, yep, it's all U.S. Right. So you don't have to deal with uh, tariffs, imports, that sort of thing, any of that uncertainty. And um, they handle the shipping for you. You just upload a spreadsheet, a CSV file, and they'll handle the shipping. So you don't have to worry about your stuff being on a boat somewhere in the middle of the ocean. You don't have to worry about anything. It, it's all taken care of. And that takes a huge load off a beginning game designer. So you can just focus on fostering your community and building the best game and none of these other details that nobody really wants to worry about. Absolutely. You know, uh, I just ordered something from GameCrafter last week because my uh, my wife, uh, since we've been together, has become a very avid gamer and she just can she is addicted to upgraded components every time I turn uh, around. Right. Uh, she won't play a game right. unless the cards are sleeved. She only gets the uh, Dragon Shield true fit. I'm just like, oh, serious. What did I create here? A monster. For but, me, it's about the organization. I love board game organizers. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> right. And so for her, she wanted – we've been playing a game, um, and, the, and the game showed up, and the components were all fairly cheap. And she's like, what is this? And it had stickers you had to stick onto things, and she's like, I'm not doing this. And so <laughs> – so, <laughs> She's over it. Yeah, she's above it. So I went out, and I had to think, okay, one, she wanted to upgrade the money. She didn't like the money that they had used. It wasn't coins. It was paper. She's like, this, this is crap. And I'm like, where? And she's like, you get, I'm sure you know somewhere where you can go get money. And I'm like, where can I? Game Crafter. Sure enough, went out to Game Crafter. Here's the money. And then as soon as she saw Game Crafter, she's over my shoulder. And she's like, oh, hey, hey, look at that. We can upgrade those components. Oh, look at that. We can do that. And I'm like, wow. She just, she was all over it. So Game Crafter is a great. Created uh, a monster. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Um, And we play, we play almost, we play two, three games every night. Last night we played three games. We played, um, Empire Builder, Euro, excuse me, Euro Rails from uh, Mayfair, which is now out of print. We played Sequence. We played a couple games of Sequence. So yeah, um, oh, almost every time you you. Yeah, she's uh, her and my and my daughter who lives with us, who's twenty seven, um, is also an avid gamer. So yes, they do that. Hey, but one thing that you brought up, and that was that this community concept, because that's what I want to go back to, and that is you created a community called Board Game Club on Facebook, and tell me about kind of that process that you went through. Yeah, so what happened was uh, at my work, we had a really good sort of board game club 
like actual in-person board game club. And uh, I work at a tech company, like I said, lots of nerds. And uh, unfortunately, after a year or so that people just started going on maternity leave, getting fired or getting new jobs, that sort of thing. So it kind of like fizzled out and uh, that bummed me out. And so but I still wanted to talk about board games and post pictures and stuff. So uh, so I wanted to create a group. And also I kind of had in the back of my mind, maybe this could go somewhere someday. Maybe I'll review games or make a game at some point. And so I started uh, Board Game Club on Facebook about a year ago. And um, it's just been growing ever since. I made a consistent effort to engage with everybody and to keep it growing and keep it positive. Um, there's a lot of snarkiness out there in a lot of groups. Most groups are great, but you know, there's some some hardcore gamers uh, could be a little disrespectful. And so we wanted to make it a good place for women and, and for everybody else. And um, you know, and people appreciate the positive vibe and the the sense of uh, you know camaraderie, the clubbiness of it. Yeah, that that's a critical uh, component of that because because one women um, are uh, such a huge component of the board games, but online we've had problems in the industry with it sometimes, and so it's a nice place to be able to bring them in. And then this group, you know, people start a lot of groups, but your your group is up over forty forty five hundred forty two hundred something like that. Quite a few. Yeah, for, mm-hmm. forty three hundred. I think it's at right now. Yeah, and so how did you? Because it's only been a year and some odd months. How did you grow something so big and so quickly? So I, I wanted it to be to at least have a critical mass, right? Like I, I didn't necessarily need it to be four thousand or five thousand people, but I wanted it to be at least a thousand. I, I like the idea of having the uh, the four digits just to kind of give it a little gravitas. Um, you know, if you have a group of only twelve people or so, it, who's a lot of people aren't going to want aren't going to want it because you know they just don't think that there'll be much action going on there. So I, um, you know, I added everyone that I knew that I thought would be interested, and luckily I had a lot of uh, Facebook friends at the time, and um, and then I started doing Facebook ads, just cheap Facebook ads, trying to get people in. Uh, I made friends with people in other groups and invited them to uh, to the board game club, and then uh, the biggest thing was doing giveaways and um, getting doing give- giveaways where people would add their friends to the group to win prizes, you know, win board games. And that was the the biggest thing that made it skyrocket. And now at this point, it just kind of feeds itself. I don't even have to do anything. It just kind of grows. So tell me uh, two things. Let's talk about real specifically about running a Facebook ad for your Facebook group. What were the details involved with that? Uh, It's been a while since I've run them, but I would pretty much just uh, maybe slap slap together some sort of board game meme, something with like Catan and something like that just to kind of get people's attention. And then I would just throw a link, uh, come join the board game club. We, we talk about board games. We're addicted to board games, that, that sort of thing. And um, I would just try different things. And then eventually when I was doing the giveaways, then I would just have the ads promoting the giveaways. So people would see the giveaways and say, hey, I want Castles of Burgundy or whatever we were giving away. And, uh, you know, so they join the group and try to win. Everyone loves free stuff, you know. Yes, they do. And so uh, I'm, I'm really interested in the mechanics of this. So you run an ad, you say, hey, uh, give away, we're giving away Castles of Burgundy, come join the group. Then how would you, how would you select the criteria of those who are qualified to, to win a prize? Was it just randomly amongst all thousands of the, the people in the group? No, no. So this, is, this was the thing. I specifically was looking to grow at this time. So I would – I think it was like – there's like a little formula I put together, but it was kind of like one entry for every – friend that they added uh and then some other some other criteria 
How did, you, that how, was the, how did you keep track of the friends they added? Uh, you could you could do it through the Facebook groups. I, I'm a, a coder, so I was able to put together some sort of uh, script that would just kind of take all the text and figure out how many people each each added. And then I just went to a, a random name picker site and I'd live stream that. Uh, that's another thing. I was live streaming pretty much daily for I'd say the first four months or so, uh, just to kind of get everyone to know my personality and get to know me and really associate me with the group as opposed to like a random admin, a random mod. I wanted them to know, hey, this is me, and I'm like intertwined with this group. And it has worked, because from what I understand in our conversation, that this group was critical to and fundamental to the success of the game as a disaster. Definitely, yep. They helped every step of the way uh, in ways that I didn't even think of. Sometimes I would ask for help for certain things, um, and then other times people just writing to me and offering advice, offering contacts, um, feedback, things like that. And so I've met a lot of great people from it. You know, uh, th- this episode that you and I are discussing right now, it's, it's kind of touched on a lot of different things. The game crafter aspect, the uh, beginning of the, the project at such a, uh, what we call that minimal viable project, the uh, building the crowd. You really have approached all of these different um, elements very systematically. What would you say is part of that success? I would say laziness. <laughs> um, so a combination of laziness and impatience. And that, that's something that they say a lot of programmers, the best ones are lazy because they don't want to do a lot of work. So they come up with some sort of uh, program that does it for you. And um, I, there's a lot of advice out there and a lot of conventional wisdom. And a lot of it is good, but a lot of it is geared for kind of the artists, dreamers, million dollar kind of, uh, kind of uh, projects. And like we were talking about, most of the people that haven't started yet are that most of those details just don't apply to them. And so I decided that I wanted to make mistakes. I wanted to just move fast. Speed was better than, than perfect for me. Um, you know, this game is a disaster, might not be the perfect game. Maybe it could use, uh, some more play testing. Maybe there's a few cards that are different artwork, whatever, but it's funded. It's probably going to fund way past the goal. And, uh, and you know, it's better than having a perfect game a year from now. So I think that's the main thing just to get out there, start building your community, just get, get a game together, get something out there and, um, speed, speed is, is where it's at. And then you could worry about perfection later. Interesting. So as we as we wrap up here, this is this is excellent. Tell me about your choice on your pledge levels as we wrap up. Just because uh, there's a lot of good things here, and I'm looking at the the project right now, and there's a I love the uh, the playthrough. You did well there with a, a group shot and over the uh, over the table look. Uh, mm-hmm. As we wrap up in the last minute or two, what uh, what made you decide on those pledge levels? Uh, actually, I think it uh, it was either. I think it was James Staley from Tin Robot Games who has a, a game, uh, Tanks But No Thanks. I believe it was him that suggested these pledge levels. Originally, I didn't have a print-and-play version. Um, and uh, I guess that, that's the main one he, he added. I wanted a $1 one, uh, $13 for the game. And then the, the $50 Super Supporter one, I just, just threw out, out a, just kind of like random idea yesterday decided to, to do that. Um, it would be the game, and then our kids would draw a crappy picture of, of whoever funded this pledge level. And uh, so far, three people have done it. So, 
Well, four have done it. Uh, I'm the fourth because you limited it to oh. six. And uh, I was like, no, I want, that one sounds fun. Um, and the reason yeah. I ask, and that was specifically because of that, one of the things I learned over the years is that you give your fans an opportunity of saying thank you. So sometimes those little crazy pledge levels are the ones that the fans are like, oh, no, I want to say, say thank you. And that's a way of saying thank you. Bobby, this has been yeah, great. We have covered some great material. Would you be willing to come back towards the end of your um, Kickstarter and talk about kind of lessons learned as you went through the next uh, 29 days? Yeah, I'd love to. I plan on uh, just kind of doing this Kickstarter by the seat of my pants, like we've been doing it all along, and uh, trying to be agile, trying to just kind of kind of get some feedback and, and change things up. So I'd love to tell you what we end up with. I I'm I'm interested, and I have a strong suspicion that my audience and those who are listening are interested in well as well. And we'll be posting this uh, out on uh, on uh, the Facebook group, and where we'll continue to have that conversation. Bobby, thanks for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. You've been listening to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter. My guest has been Bobby Fiorentino, who has this Game is Disaster Kickstarter running. But as you can tell from the episode, he also has a wealth of information as he's become a new uh, project creator and the steps that he's taken to become successful to get to this point. Hopefully you found something inspiring. I certainly have, and I'm looking forward to having him back on the show. Come join us on the Facebook group at the Funding the Dream on Kickstarter Facebook, and we will continue the conversation. Thanks for listening. Take care.